to overcome, succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent to prevail, overpower or overwhelm of an emotion, adversity, a difficult or unpleasant situation, used in a sentence, resilience in the face of adversity. I want to break free. The Overcoming Adversity Podcast is back, finally, with episode number 29, which is pretty cool. We're getting close to 30, that dirty 30, and we are sorry. I'm going to start with an apology here. Um, We have been slacking a little bit and getting this done, but that is only because there's so many great things going on outside of the podcast world, but we did not forget about you. We have been specifically waiting to get this guest on. But first of all, I'm, I'm Blake Cohen. I'm one of the hosts of the Overcoming Adversity podcast. Manders, who are you? I'm Amanda Marino. I'm also a host of Overcoming Adversity podcast, which I love doing. But yes, we are sorry that it's taken so long, but it's still a priority. And we're so happy to have our awesome guest here today. We've been hunting him down and playing uh, trade the date and time for about a year. So, um, <laughs> I perseverance. Easily, I, I'm thinking like, there's no better way to start off a podcast episode than with an apology. I think that's like, should be our new thing. We should just find something to apologize about. Or <laughs> just make our, let's make our listeners feel bad right off the bat. So then we can win them back. And no matter what we say after we, we apologize, they're going to listen and they're going to, they're going to feel guilty. So they're going to listen to the very end. I love it. I love it. So I want to thank our, our guest for, like I said, persevering with us. It's a dear friend, Jordan Myers, who I just, right when I met him, I was super drawn to him. I'm a big supporter of his. Um, he's someone near and dear to my heart and I consider him extended family. So with that, I welcome Jordan. Is this uh, is this where you're gonna sound sample like hand clapping and a bunch of cheering and all <laughs> that stuff? It's, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, Jordan. That's the wrong wrong podcast here. <laughs> we don't have that capability. We, we're very simple. We don't even edit. We just blow this up on whatever happens happens. We like it that way. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, what's up, guys? Thank you guys so much for having me. I know, like like you guys expressed and uh, started this podcast with an apology. I am happy to finally have been able to jump on here with you guys and have some cool conversations and talk about some adversities and uh, just very thankful for the opportunity. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Like you said, before we started the podcast that we've been trying to have you on since like at least the first few episodes, we, this has been in the works. We've been wanting to have you on just because, you know, we both love you. We're both, we all just think very highly of you and you've got a great story and a great message. And I been looking forward to, for our listeners to hear your story um, or should I say listener to hear uh, your story and to learn a little bit about you and the message that you have to offer us. So obviously in the spirit of this podcast, it's called the overcoming adversity podcast. And each person that we interview, we like to do a deep dive into their history about a specific major adversity that they've overcome in their life and they're now on the other side of it. So Jordan, what, what is it that you wanted to discuss with us today? 
Oh, man, I feel like there has been lots of adversities, you know, some more prevalent than others. But um, I think something that I struggle with continually is just my mental health and being in the right frame of mind. Um, You know, I was diagnosed with depression and ADD when I was eight years old. And how a doctor can diagnose an eight-year-old with depression, I'm not, I'm still, you know, still learning. I'm not a doctor, but, um, you know, that's, that's something that I think I've struggled with my entire life is having extreme ups and extreme downs. And um, a lot of others, uh, other adversities have come with that territory of struggling with my depression and anxiety and, uh, and ADD. So um, I think that's, the forefront of the topic and then you know i can really address all the the ancillary things that happened you know over the years as a result of of struggling with with depression and one thing you definitely do jordan is you normalize having that conversation in a public manner and that's something i love about you is is removing stigma and like let's talk about it you know yeah of course i mean it's it's something that's going to take so much time. It's something that I work towards every single day is normalizing this conversation uh, because somewhere along the lines, you know, the topic of mental health became so taboo and people were so afraid to talk about it because they'd be looked at differently that it's something that I struggle with when I have these conversations is if, if I'm talking to like an 80 year old man, that's just got his mind made up. Like it's going to be kind of hard for me to, try to break that stigma away from him because he just looks, looks at things differently, you know? So, um, when I do speak very openly and freely about it, it's more for education of like people in my, uh, in my generation or the, or the younger generations, you know, to try and eradicate that stigma moving forward. I think that's such an important message. And I, there's this fight that a lot of us are having. I mean, a lot of us are really working hard to, you know, break stigma, which I think is breaking, by the way. I, I really think that there's been so many strides. I mean, think about when you were diagnosed at eight years old, how depression was looked at. And it was sort of this hush, hush, keep it quiet. You know, you don't want to talk about mental illness. People aren't going to understand it. And now if you tell sure. someone you've struggled with depression, they're like, oh yeah, I get that. I, I, I do too. Or I have a loved one that does. So it's very different. But I think we all need as educators have to focus our fight on the next generations and our generations because i don't know that we're going to be able to make as big of a difference in the older generations as we could with the newer younger generations who are more open-minded to this type of thing Mm -hmm. i I could definitely agree with that well one thing that we see blake we've seen a number on the the contrary just to put it on a different spin on it is we've had a lot of clients and families come our way that were the individual, the identified loved one that's suffering with mental illness or addiction related issues is 70, 60. So sometimes they're getting their education as they're going through it, you know, so maybe not being able to target them as who we're trying to go after. But when people are affected by it, whether it's personally or within their family unit, that's that, that wakes them up, you know, and, and helps remove stigma because you have to address it, you know, as a family. Yeah, and just think about though the those those clients that we do deal with, like how much more of a fight and a battle it is to accept help, even in those cases. So they they are educated, but they also are more resistant to it at in the well, yeah. beginning because it's there's just this underlying 
story that they've been told that there's shame associated with this. So, Jordan, I, it's it's cool to hear that that you're talking so openly about it, and we know what you do, and we're going to get to a little bit more about what you do and how you help others today. But I'm curious of how the depression played a role in your in your childhood. Like, let's look at your teen years. How did it play a role in your childhood, and what did it bring you towards? Sure. Um, you know, on the topic of, like, it becoming uh, more of a welcome conversation, like you said, like you talk about depression today and more people are receptive to having that conversation or open, openly talking about, you know, situational depression that they may be going through. I feel like, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, it was like an era for uh, for medication, like lots of medication was coming out, especially, you know, in terms of ADD. And, uh, I think that was kind of the way of shutting the topic up was like, Hey, we notice these kids are, you know, they're, they're thinking differently or, you know, they've got more of an open mind instead of just focusing on what we'd like them to. So we're going to put them on this medication and kind of just shut them up. And, uh, and, you know, not saying to any fault of my parents or my mother or anything like that, or anybody who did do that to their kids when they were that young, you know, I, I did get put on medication when I was eight years old for, for depression and ADD. And, um, and it did make me different than everybody else. Um, I did kind of turn into a zombie, you know, and, and, and I, I did shut up and, um, and I developed other habits. Uh, one of the things that came pretty quickly was something that I really botch the name of every time I say, but it's like trichotillomania or something like that. But it's, it's when you, you, you twist your hair and you pull it out. And, um, and so that's something that I developed as a result of this medication I was taking. And it kind of put me in this weird position, you know, as a child, because I got made fun of in a few facets. I got made fun of, you know, when people would see me doing it, I got made fun of because I had bald spots as a result of it. Um, and then, you know, my mom had this conversation with the principal at my school and uh, addressed the situation and said, is it okay if my son wears a hat to school and you're not allowed to wear hats to school, but the, the principal had agreed. So now I'm in, you know, double-edged sword, lose, lose situation where it's like, (laughs) okay, now I'm the only kid that could wear a hat to school. So I get made fun of for it. And then they steal my hat and make fun of me or, I'm the kid with the bald spots. That's kind of weird. That sits in the back of the class, doesn't really talk to anybody and keeps his head down, pulling his hair out. So, um, that was kind of my, my latter elementary school years, you know, like, like third, fourth, fifth grade, um, going into middle school, I kind of like developed a little bit more of a personality, uh, and, and figure, if you will, I played basketball. I was into sports. I was into music. Um, but something that I can address today and visually see from my past is that I've always chameleonized myself to different groups of people just so I could be accepted by them. And so it was, it was, it was like an identity, uh, an identity fuck my entire life because I, I wanted to fit in with the jocks, but I also wanted to fit in with the nerds. And I also wanted to fit in with the skater kids. And I, I wanted to right. just do whatever anybody wanted me to do. So I chameleonized myself. Um, so that's something that like depression and being diagnosed with these things and taking this medication kind of led me to at an early age was like, 
who am I? What is my actual, does this medication and this diagnosis define me? And also, which is something that I couldn't identify that young of an age. Like I can look back on it now, but at that time it was just like, I just want to fit in somewhere. So I'm going to do anything I possibly can to do that. And so that's, that was like an adversity that I I went through at that early of an age. Yeah. And, you know, I was also put on medication at seven, eight years old and, and it, it, you know, and getting a diagnosis of, you know, depression and, and trauma, you know, and it does, it does something to you. Like you don't feel like you don't want to be defined by your diagnosis. So you do want to figure out where you belong, you know, and then you kind of come like you said, just kind of try to fit into every group, you know? Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, cannot relate more to what you just said though too the chameleonizing and the wanting to fit in with every single group of people and not having an identity and i remember even being in high school and being in bed at night thinking like i don't think i have my own personality i think that i'm just a little bit of all of the people i'm around each day like just mixed together and not being sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing and just sort of feeling Mm -hmm. like telling this lie to myself, like, it's great. I can blend in with any crowd, but not realizing that I wasn't developing a sense of, of personal identity. And all I was doing was just doing whatever it took to be liked. And I mean, just like you, man, I grew up in like the nineties and early two thousands. And that was like the jackass era. And I realized very quickly, like jackass was popular. I used to throw myself down flights of stairs. I used to eat like nasty (laughs) off the wall, like whatever I can do to stand out and make people laugh and just be that crazy person that I don't know if they were laughing with me, laughing at me. I didn't care as long as I was getting attention. I mean, I was do anything to just try to get that admiration from, from my peers. Absolutely. I was the same exact way. And in full circle, I remember in treatment, them going, at, at one point in the last treatment stay, someone just said to me, like, dude, who the fuck are you? Like, you are nobody. You are literally whatever anybody else wants you to be. They called me out on all my deepest and And he used that word chameleon. He's like, you are the greatest chameleon I've ever met. You just become what everybody else wants you to be. And I felt like every single piece of meat and flesh and muscle and everything was just torn off. And I was just a bare skeleton sitting there of like no clue who I am, what I am, what I'm supposed to do. And as brutal as it was, it it was an eye opener for me to start building my own personality and identity and embracing who I am. But I know that feeling, man, and it's tough. And a lot of kids go through that. Yeah. And, And Jordan, what did the bullying do to you? Like, what did it do to you? You know, in that state well it's so it's identifiable now as bullying but like when you're that young and i think this is something that so many kids deal with today is that like you really don't know if they're laughing with you or they're laughing at you and so it's it's kind of hard to decipher you know like i said like they would steal my hat and stuff but then like they would still hang out with me so i was like it was just very confusing and you feel torn. You're like, well, like, are these my friends? Is this like, you're growing and you're learning, you're developing. So like, I'm like, is this just normal? Is this just what people do? You know? So like, it doesn't feel good when they do it, but then it feels good that they still come to my house and like ask me to play, you know? So it's like, 
I don't, I couldn't really identify that it was bullying at the time. I just knew that it didn't make me feel good and it made me feel different than everybody else. So that was like, I think where I chameleonized because I wanted to try to feel those good feelings with like everybody and just be accepted, you know, kind of like Blake was just referring to like do the stupid outlandish stuff and like just really be out there and be a clown, if you will, just so people could like laugh and like, I still couldn't tell if it was with me or at me, but as long as they were laughing, like I, I was like, okay, well like I'm okay. And so, so I didn't, I couldn't identify it as bullying back then. Um, there were certain times a hundred percent that I, I straight up knew it was just bullying and these people were not like my friends, you know, but um, it was, you know, it wasn't until like later, like maybe around like high school that like, I started like developing more of my own identity and coming into my own and like realizing all the things that I'm talking about now is like, Oh, these people weren't really my friends. Like these were people that like lived in the neighborhood and it was almost like obligatory to come and hang out with me just so they had someone else to play baseball with, you know, like it was, that's just like, I'm not even sure they knew that they were bullying me. It's just kind of like how, I was, I was raised, I guess, you know, so, um, the bullying wasn't identifiable until later in life for sure. So with all going through all of those things, like what, what transpired next? I mean, I, I know some of your story, um, but I'd love to, you know, to share with everyone who's listening, you know, you, you've gone through some tough things, you know, with starting with that phase of life. Yeah. Yeah. So once I got to high school, I was still playing basketball basketball was my entire life. It was something I practiced every single day. It was something I played with my friends. It was something I played competitively. Um, and my freshman year of high school, I was on the basketball team. Um, and I ended up having an accident riding my bike home from school. And like, you know, my sweater was like on my handlebars, got caught in the spokes, flipped over, broke my ankle. And that, you know, that took away basketball for me for a while. And that was, I think the first time that I can identify what depression felt like, um, because I felt completely lost. I just lost the thing that I cared about most in the world. Wow. And, and, um, I'm like walking on crutches, you know, I'm like walking through the hallways and stuff. And I just remember there was this kid in my math class, his name's Daniel Dubsky. And Daniel came up to me and he's like, Hey man, you listen to punk rock music. You know, we need a drummer for the drum line. Uh, you know, could you try out? And, uh, I had never played an instrument before. So I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, but you'll have to teach me to which he agreed. And, um, that's where I saw a big shift change in like my personality, more identification, um, and like sticking to something else, you know, and drumming became my new obsession. I, I was awful. Like I was really <laughs> bad, so bad to like, I'm in the marching band and we're like doing, you know, dr- like marching band is tough. You like people look at marching band people and they make fun of them and stuff. Like, man, some of the people in the marching band are tougher than like the football players, man. Like we had to do some shit. And, uh, <laughs> and here I am carrying this gigantic bass drum around like my back hurt every single day, marching drills, 
running, all these things. And I just messed everything up every single practice. And I would, I would be the cause of everybody to have to do push-ups and stop what they were doing because I, I, I messed it up. But, and there were so many times I wanted to quit. And I'm so thankful to have someone like my mother in my life who like every single day I'd come home uh, <laughs> chafing, like sunburnt, just like hating my <laughs> life, wanting to give up on everything. Uh, there was was one time my mom got me icy hot and I just tried to rub it all over my body and rubbed it on, rubbed it on some parts that I should not have. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Every guy has experienced what that burn is like and it does not Uh, go away. It's yeah. I have not. I have not. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) No icy hot in any areas it shouldn't be guys. It is like burn that like it's like if you put your hand on a hot stove. It's something you never forget. You'll never do it again. Yeah, never again. Uh, yeah, I will never forget that. But that was the pinnacle moment for me, where I looked. I looked at my mom and I said, "I quit. I quit. I quit." And she wouldn't let me. Um, no, that's awesome. And I, I did. I quit for a couple of days. I didn't go to practice or anything. And then like the the band director came to me and he's like, you know, gave me a nice pep talk and. There was this one kid that was also in in the marching band. His name's Alex. He's one of my best friends today. But at this time, I hated, hated this person more than anything in the world because he was so hard on me. And he would make fun of me. He bullied me, for sure. But in such a good aspect that it, I, tu- I was able to turn it around and say, okay, I'm going to show you. And every single day, he would tell me I was never going to be good. I was never going to amount to anything with drums. And so I turned that into motivation, and that became my new obsession. And every single day, I started practicing drums, playing along to other people's songs. I had set up a drum set in my garage. My neighbors hated me. But I, I, I obsessed over playing drums and listening to music and studying it, so much so that like, by my senior year of high school, the, the director in the band that wrote the percussive parts allowed me to just write my own parts which is almost unheard of in like a competitive marching band. He was just like, you're good enough. Just play whatever the fuck you want. And, and so like that, that became everything that I was, you know, I started wearing whatever clothes I wanted and not trying to fit in with other people. I wore my sister's jeans. I straightened my hair. I, <laughs> I was, I was yes. this, this like punk rock kid. You know what I mean? I wore a hoodie to school every single day. And I grew up down here in Florida, so you know that I should not have been wearing a hoodie every single day. Um, And I just became unapologetically me, and that's when I started becoming myself and feeling myself more. Um, But that's also where I started struggling with other things. And so kind of going back to that guy, Daniel Dubsky, you know, Daniel also smoked pot and would, like, party with his friends sometimes. And I wanted to fit in in that sector. And so, like... I think the first time I ever had a drink, I was 12 years old and I was at my aunt's house. So this is before high school. I was at my aunt's house and she had a bottle of Hennessy on the counter. And I remember looking at the bottle and saying, oh yeah, I've heard about this stuff in a rap song before. <laughs> and, it's, and, na- uh, it's nasty. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember taking a water bottle, like an empty water bottle and filling it up like halfway with Hennessy 
and then replacing, you know, the liquid in the Hennessy bottle with water and putting it back on the counter. Oh. And so I just put like water down Hennessy back on the counter. How does and that work? It's brown. It's brown. At least you can, you can do it with vodka because it's clear. It's going to make it look all watered down in Hennessy. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I was 12 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I wasn't a scientist yet at that point. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I put the bottle back. The neighbor and I, uh, you know, he was maybe a year or two younger than me. This, this kid's like 10. And uh, he, you know, he looked up to me. And, and so we, we went back and forth and we took swigs of this alcohol. And it's something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. That warm feeling of liquid going down my esophagus and the overwhelming feeling of calmness that came to my body after the first drink. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's something that like, now, again, like being older, learning and like educating myself on mental health, alcoholism, what, what have you, right? Is that like, that is something I have chased my entire life is that feeling. And, um, and so afterwards, you know, like I would never, I wouldn't drink for a while. Right. And then in high school, it became a thing where my friends and I would kind of put our money together, like our lunch money, whatever money our parents left us to buy pizza or whatever. And we'd go to the local gas station and we would wait for someone cool that we knew was 21 to like pull up and maybe like a 97 Honda Civic. And we're just like, Hey bro, here's 20 bucks. Go get us like a six pack of fucking Mike's hard lemonade. Right. Like just something yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and we'd go to like my, my neighborhood pool and we would drink on the weekends, you know, and I started seeing this trend of like, well, when everyone's doing this, we're all together. And like, that's our motive. You know what I mean? So it's like something we do together. Uh, it's a bonding thing, you know, and we kind of like, it makes me feel good and I don't have to think about anything else. All we're thinking about is getting fucked up. right? Right. So So in high school, you know, like later on, as I'm forming this identity, I'm not realizing that like all of these traumas and things from my past that I still have not abruptly dealt with, uh, I am burying because I feel accepted for who I, I am now, but also I feel like one with everybody else when we're getting fucked up together. And so that's something that I always looked forward to was like the weekends of like drinking. And so then that turned into smoking weed and like playing music and like, you know, like everyone that played music smoked weed and partied. Right. So I just thought like, well, if I'm going to be a rock star one day, then I got to do this. This is yeah. what I've got to do. Um, so that's where like some other things started, you know, character defects and flaws started coming up in my life is once I've gotten this new identity, I was kind of like subsidizing it with something else that I didn't realize was going to be harmful later in life. Right. Yeah. You like it, it feels like it matched the mold of the life that you wanted to live. So you try to live and become that person who, even though it's not you, you try to, to embrace that lifestyle because that's what you thought you were supposed to do. Yeah. A hundred percent. By the way, I think you gave us the title for this episode. It's WW triple D. What would David Dubinsky do? So moving forward, the I was expecting a bigger laugh from that. Sorry, I'm just gonna move on. You're so corny, Blake. <laughs> so the 
moving forward, bring us to the point where everything really came to a head for you and you really had to put in some action to get to overcome your issues and face these issues. And what did you do specifically? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, like I said, like I got really good with music. Uh, I had this newfound identity. I ended up like going away to college up at Florida State University. And, you know, the goal was to like play in their band and do everything up there with music. And things started to take a turn when I got up there and realized that like this medication that I've been taking since I was eight years old uh, can be sold, you know, to college students up there. So I started like developing way worse uh, living situations and habits, you know, by selling drugs now at this point and, uh, and like not really going to class or doing the things that I, I had set out to do by moving up there. Um, and that quickly turned into me not wanting to be there at all. And I found these, these artists that, you know, were willing to take me out on tour with them. The first tour I went on, um, was like a, a nationwide tour. Um, I was 18 years old and this band was paying me $5 a day to sell sell t-shirts for them, (laughs) to sell t-shirts for them and, uh, just go on tour and be on the road. And that's where I felt lost again, because I thought I had this new identity of like, you know, being the guy everyone knows that is like a, a good musician and drummer and like having my own thing in high school and not really chameleonizing anymore. But now I felt like I had to chameleonize again because now I put myself in a situation where I'm with a bunch of older guys, not much older, but like 22, 23, 24, a lot more lived experience than I did in in that time uh, with the things that we were doing. And these guys party every single day and they've got their formula down. But here I am wanting to jump in at the same level as them just so I could fit in. And, and it, it kicked me in the ass. And for the next like three and a half, four years of my life, I toured around the world. Uh, I barely came home. I was working in many different facets with bands. I was playing with bands. I've been to, You were no longer years. the t-shirt guy? I was no longer the t-shirt guy. No, I, Move, I Moving on out, up. I, I grew out of being the t-shirt guy. Um, turned into like a, like a tour manager. Uh, assistant production manager for some bigger artists. I'm not going to name drop, but I've done some really cool things. I've been to, I've been to 48 out of 50 States, um, you know, multiple times. Um, I've seen so much of the world. I've been out of the, you know, out of the country multiple times. And like most would look at that. And most people did look at that, that I grew up with and stuff and say like, damn, Jordan's living the life. Like he's out here living, doing cool shit, touring. Like he's really a rock star. And like what comes with that territory that nobody really knows is the most lonely self-worth that you can have is that you, all of your friends that you grew up with no longer talk to you because you're never home. Your family barely talks to you because most of the time you're busy and you don't have time to talk to them on the phone. And it's not like we had like good phones back then that I could just right. like make calls all day. Right. right. And uh, or like text or check up on Facebook or whatever, you know, like, that, that didn't, that wasn't as, that wasn't accessible. And, um, all you have is like the five guys that you're like living in a van or a bus with, or like flying around with. And like all of those guys feel the same way. So like, you're basically just in a room with 
a bunch of sad, lonely, depressed motherfuckers. And that's what touring actually is. It's yeah. not that fun. Like a it's not that party. fun. Yeah, I've like been what, what, experienced with some of that. It, it, it's, it's lonely. Blake, what would you say? A big pity party? Yes, it's like one big pity party of a bunch of people. It's like literally a party, a pity party. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. We're all just sitting there wanting to come home, but then like everyone around us is just boosting us up like, you guys are the greatest. Like, you know, like, oh, I wish I felt that way. <laughs> you know, like, um, it's, wow. it sucks. It really does. It sucks. And what comes with that territory is not wanting to feel. And what comes with not wanting to feel is finding a solution in your life that makes you not feel those feelings. And for me, it was way more booze and way more drugs. And I just completely lost myself. Um, I did, you know, I did everything. I'm not going to get into like a drunk or drug log and like, you know, go into like the war stories, but it was like, I just, I was completely lost and broken and wanted to die. I felt zero self-worth. I felt like nobody cared about me. I often had thoughts of like, if I died right now, who would be at my funeral? What would they say? Would anybody even care? Or would anybody even know? And like, those were the thoughts that plagued my mind every single day, all day. And like, it would be like, as soon as I would start coming to and like sobering up enough to have thoughts again, those were the thoughts I would have. It would not be like anything else. Everything else kind of became like uh, autopilot for me, like setting up drums, playing shows, like anything like that just became autopilot. And no longer a passion. No longer a passion. There's no longer passion involved. I didn't want to see anybody. Um, I would, I would throw on a fake smile if I knew that like a couple girls were bringing some drugs to the show and I'd put them on the guest list so they could like, you know, I'd be like, Oh, it's so good to see you. Hey, you got that bottle of pills. You know, like it's, that's what my life became. And, um, the saddest part I think about all of that is that like, I've gotten to live a life that so many people dream of. I've gotten to be places that so many people will never go. And I've gotten to do some things that nobody could even understand but I can't tell you fucking anything about it. I can't, I could tell you what the local bar with the surrounding parking lot and like what a few people at the show might look like at every single show for, for almost four years. Wow. And that's about it. You know, I never went and saw like any cool monuments or never went hiking to see like any cool like canyons or anything like that. I never did anything that like most people want to do with their lives when they travel like that. I've been all over the world and I fucking don't know anything about it. And, uh, except for where I got fucked up and who, who brought, who brought me the drugs, you know, because I had to save them in my phone. I, I still, I've never cleared out my phone. I've got numbers in my phone. That's like Wisconsin connect one, two, three, seven. Like I just, that's, I still have them today just as a reminder of how funny, but ironic it is and how disgusting that actually was for my life. Well, I can can relate to the part, Jordan, where like it started as fun in the entertainment business and then it became like a numbing thing. You know, it was like it it was very isolating and very numbing at the end and it was very messed up. But it wasn't always like that. Yeah, I don't think it never. I'm not sure anybody ever strives to come out of the gate 
using substances for the first time or like the first couple times thinking like, man, I am so looking forward to this ruining my fucking life. <laughs> you know, like nobody ever comes out with that intention. I don't think it ever starts out terrible like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, it just ends up being that. And, and something that I do say often in my story and when I talk about this is that like, I don't think that drugs and alcohol have ever been my problem, but they were the solution that I had in my life when I did not want to feel anything else or I did not know how to cope with all of the trauma and things that I had accrued over my lifetime uh, at that point. That was just the only way to turn it off. And uh, so I had zero other solution in my life, and that just became my solution. And as a result of that and vicariously, I became dependent on it and I would get sick if I didn't have it or like bad things would happen if I wasn't doing them. So I think that's so true for everybody who's struggling with a substance use disorder is that it's never really about the substances themselves. It's always about what's going underneath and why are we using the drugs? And ultimately it may start out as something fun, but it triggers something in us that fills whatever hole that, that we feel about ourselves and makes us feel complete and it's a false sense of completion but it gives us that that false sense like we're okay while we're high the reality is is that that hole is still there and as soon as those drugs are gone i mean like minutes after they're gone that hole opens up even wider and there's nothing that we can do about it and our brain tells us well i know what you can do about it do more drugs drink a little bit more keep going and it doesn't think of like, maybe I should stop and really see a therapist. It doesn't happen that easily. So it's so many people feel that way. Um, I want to, yeah. or just in the interest of time, I want to move forward a little bit to sure. where you're at today and how you manage, because these things don't go away. And I think that's something that it's a misconception people have that once you're struggling with mental illness, once you're in recovery from whatever it is, it goes away and and you're good. And I would like to hear how you manage it today and what you do for yourself and also how you apply what you've been through to help others. Sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, like at the tail end of that, you know, like I said, I was lost, lonely, broken, like worthless in my mind. And, uh, after a failed attempt at suicide, um, I decided that, the only other way is to just listen to somebody else. And, uh, you know, somebody brought me to a place that I had, you know, had a lot of contempt prior to investigation on, um, and, and believed it was like a cult and, and, you know, that, that it couldn't actually fix me, but I was open to anything at this point. Someone brought me to this place where people meet up and talk about their problems. And, um, and I went and I'll never forget just like I'll never forget the first drink I ever had in my life. I'll never forget this feeling of walking into this room and sitting down and listening to other people share their stories and being able to identify so much so that I thought that somebody prefaced these people with my life story so that they could just try to get me to join their cult. Right. And <laughs> like they had a book on you, like they, they all studied the Jordan Myers book. To you it was, yeah, like it was like a management meeting they had right before I got there, and they, they had a briefing on me and my story, and they just knew, right? And, and for the first time in my life, I was actually able to feel like I was home. 
and I was with people that I that understood me and knew me uh, in ways that nobody else ever could. And so I felt so free. And then I saw how happy these individuals were and the success that they had in their lives and the smiles that they had on their faces. And I just kept telling myself, I want that more than anything in the world. And so I, I completely dove in and, and like relentlessly dove in, like to the point where like I would call these people like day and night and just immerse myself into their lives. Whether I was wanted or not, I fucking showed up because I wanted what they had so badly and, and I was going to take everything that I could from these people to make me feel like them. And I'm so happy that I did that. And I continued going and doing these things. And, you know, these, these, they have these practices at these groups. And, and I started practicing the things that they do uh, in my daily life and retaining a lot of the things that I was learning. And one of the biggest things that I, I gained out of all that is access to a higher power that is something that I, I've never believed in God. I grew up in a torn religious home. My mother's like Catholic and my father's Jewish. And I did the whole Hebrew school and church thing and never really fucked with any of it. I was like, you know, I just don't like organized religion. So uh, don't forget, I'm a punk rock kid at heart. So like, you know, anarchy, but um, <laughs> against anything organized. But, um, but I, I, I did struggle with it in the beginning and like it, it started like coming in more and more as I like identified control in my life and like where everything had gone wrong in my entire life, every situation that I could look back on and say like that upsets me or I've got a resentment about this or this didn't happen the way I wanted to. It was just for out of a lack of control and the understanding that I've gained through having a higher power is identifying this higher power as every single thing in my life that I am not in this exact moment in time. So right now I'm talking to you guys and it's 3.48 p.m. on December 22nd, 2020. And whatever happened right before this exact moment in time, I've got zero control over and can never change again. And then whatever may happen after this exact moment in time, I've got zero control over because the future doesn't actually exist. All I have control over is what I'm doing in this exact moment in time with my two hands and my two feet. I can't control you guys and what you're going to say or do. I don't control the weather outside or the cars on the road or all of these things that I'd like to have control over. That is God. God is you guys. God is the weather outside. God is the cars on the road. God controls every other aspect of my life, and I just have to believe that he's going to make all of it okay for me. And all I have to do is just be in this physical present moment and understand that this is the only time I have. And so it took me a long, long time to get there. You know, years of practicing, learning, meditation, um, reading, listening to other individuals, talking to my higher power, even when he doesn't talk back physically. Uh, you know, I, like, I verbally cannot hear what he says back to me. I find answers in so many other things today. And so like I, I can... Uh, equate that to the principles and the things that I learned by going to those groups when I did and, um, and applying them to my daily life. So like back to the drugs and alcohol, like they were my solution for so long to not feel any of these things. But now I've got this like self-identity and worth and understanding that like I need to feel all of these things 
and I also need to use the tools that I have learned along the way in my daily life, in my minute life, in my second life, like every single moment of the day, if anything happens to me, I need to have something in between me and my demons. And that is like a fucking garage full of greased up sharpened tools that I have at this point because I have to practice them every single day of every single minute of my life. One thing about you, Jordan, and going from some of the the negative, like the pattern you have is whatever you do, you go all in, you know, so you went all in and all these crazy things in your youth and you went in with, you know, hard with everything. And then when it came to the healing, you went all in too, and you're continuing to go all in. I mean, it's the only hand I've got, you know what I mean? So it's like, if I've caught you know, for poker players out there, like two, seven off suit, like I got to fucking play those cards, you know, it may not be easy and it's going to be hard to like get the result that I want out of having those cards. But like, I have to believe that those cards are going to get me what to the jackpot. They're going to get me, you know, the money that I want. I don't know if two, seven off suit is the best example of getting me to the jackpot. But... <laughs> Yes. For anybody who's listening who doesn't play poker, that's the worst hand in poker. Pre-flop. It's the worst hand. It's the worst hand. But you have to believe that you could get there with those cards, and you have to be all in. All right. Then I'm signing up for the next World Poker Tour when it comes to town, and I'm I'm playing. I'm going all in with 7-2. I will believe. I I believe in you, man. I believe in you. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate your story, man. And it's definitely inspiring. And it's nice to hear that you had a lot going on. And I love how you identify what led you to use substances and how it was so much more not about the substances, but about what was going on underneath. And I think a lot of kids today, and just people in general, always kind of have this idea of if I just was able to go on tour, if I was just able to live this life of a rock star or a movie star or celebrity, if I was just able to do that, everything would be okay. And your story says that that's, that's not true. You can't find happiness or peace externally, no matter what the situation is. And it sounds like to me that you found it through a free program internally is where you found that sense of peace. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree to that. So I, I appreciate your story, man. And I think that, yeah, um, thank you. I, I would love to hear where can people follow you and find you? If you, if, if any of the listeners want to be able to find you on Instagram or anything like that, where can they find you and, and see what you're up to? It's uh, my Instagram is at underscore Jordan Myers. Myers is spelled M E Y E R S uh, underscore. And uh, that's where you can find me on Instagram. That's probably the social media I use the most. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, anything else? <laughs> anything what about finding want? a lost voice? Yeah, I was just I'm trying to like get you there. Anything else you want to plug or anything like that? <laughs> yeah. I, I do. Yes. Yeah, so I do have uh, a nonprofit, nonprofit organization called Finding a Lost Voice, which um, is tailored towards like education and advocacy for uh, mental health in many facets, adversities in any facets that people have gone through. Um, and that's why I like, I love your guys' name so much. Um, and because again, like whether it's situational or clinical, like any kind of mental health or anything that goes on in somebody's life that isn't less than stellar is an adversity to them, you know? And so, um, 
I, I like to hear people's stories so and have them share them just so other people can identify with them and know that they're not alone. And that's our whole slogan is you don't have to go through this alone, find your voice. And um, so finding a lost voice really started out as just getting people to share their stories and, and, uh, and, you know, more of an identification thing and kind of breaking the stigma. Uh, but what we're working towards now with finding a lost voice is education. Like I said, the, the use is so important. And um, we're working on an educational model to bring to the school systems that we're calling party education, um, where it's in our sense, we know that you're going to experiment with drugs and alcohol. Uh, we're not here to tell you not to, because anybody that ever told me not to do something in my life, that's all I ever wanted to do. Um, but we're going to teach you the science and psychology behind what happens when you do, especially coupled with some kind of underlying mental health disorder that you may have. Um, and really educate people on the mental health aspect of it. And so that's something we're working towards now. You could also follow that on Instagram. I do not post frequently on it because we're revamping everything. Like I just said, we're rebuilding the website and getting more people involved. Um, but that is something to look out for in the future that I'm very excited about. So you can find, find finding a lost voice on, on Instagram. It's just at finding a lost voice. Awesome. Love it. And you gave us the perfect segue for the last segment of the show when you were just saying that, that we all go through adversities every day, big or small. So we've got a little segment here called Let It Out. And the purpose of the Let It Out segment is to give the three of us an opportunity to let something out that's bothering us today, a small adversity. We talk about major adversity on this podcast, but like you said, everybody goes through small adversities every day. And a problem shared is a problem cut in half. So we like to uh, give our guests the first chance to let it out. What is bothering you today that you just want to talk about? <laughs> Holiday shopping. <laughs> uh, Holiday shopping, not having enough time to get things done, you know, like putting uh, materialistic things before actual love and compassion for individuals just because that I think is something that we've learned over time is that you need to give gifts to show somebody love. And, uh, and yeah, I've just been super busy. And so like, I've been anxious uh, about holiday shopping and getting things done that I, I haven't really found enough time to be able to take care of. <laughs> I totally understand that. <laughs> Amanda, what do you, what about you? You want to let it out? Oh, well, I did that ceremony last night for the great conjunction of with the planets and winter solstice. So I, I don't have a ton to let out. Um, one thing that comes to mind is just let people be them. You know, don't, there shouldn't be like the standard on everything and, and what people should do and what people should be. And so let people be and let yourself be and just be who you are. That's my let it out. Mm. Love that. Okay. All right. Okay. Bars. <laughs> My let it out today, I don't really like eating today. And I'm just kind of, uh, some days I get more frustrated with it than others where it's just like, I feel like it's an obligation recently to eat. And I just kind of annoying that I feel yes. like eating is just like this interruption to my day. And it's bad because I lose weight. Unlike most people, I lose weight really easily. And it's something I'm self-conscious about as being too skinny. But at the same time, 
I feel like it's a full-time job of constantly trying to keep food in my mouth or food in the fridge. And it's something I, that just annoys me, to be honest with you. So as weird as that may be, that's my let it out today. I just feel like I'm annoyed at food today. I 110% cannot relate, but I support you. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I can definitely relate, Blake. Um, but in the other facet, I do not lose weight easily. So then sometimes I think uh, maybe I sh- just shouldn't eat. <laughs> so I, I, food is a burden sometimes. I get it. All I do is each day it's based around what I'm going to eat. That's <laughs> my life. What I'm going to eat, what I'm going to stop and get, what I'm going to have in the fridge. I love it. It's just such a I, I love that for you. Yes. I it's love like, food. I got to like cook. You got to prepare something every time you want to eat or I got to order. Blake, it's part of being a grown up. I, I get yeah, Blake. It. Yeah, Blake, grow up. Oh, Hard uh, being an adult. I'm sorry for, I didn't judge you guys on your let it out. <laughs> this is a, not a safe space like we thought it was. No, I said oh, I support man. you, but I don't, I, it's hard for me to understand because I, you know, I also have an Italian husband and like everything we do is based around food. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you something that you can't tell somebody you support them and then follow it up with a butt. Okay. Just, but the butt had nothing to do with you. It's always about me. Let's be real. I like I like butts. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> I like big butts, and I cannot lie. Hey. <laughs> now I'm showing my old age. Yeah, don't keep singing. I think we have to buy the rights to the song if we want to play that. If we oh want to God. Sing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't really think anybody who cares is listening to. This. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Jordan. And, um, you know, we really appreciate you. I'm so glad we, we were able to accomplish this mission, Mission Impossible today. And, Me too. Um, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time from your holiday shopping to be here with us <laughs> today. Um, we do um, sponsor our podcast. We sponsor our own podcast with Next Level Recovery Associates. Um, check us out at nextlevelrecoveryassociates.com. You can find me at Amanda Marino Recovery on Instagram. And Blake, how can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at, at @blakeevansc. And guys, do us a favor. If you've listened to this podcast and you've made it to this point, you are our hero. But if you want to be more of a hero, go hit that five-star button on the review section of whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. It's on every platform now. So do me a favor, leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback if it's positive only. And <laughs> if you feel like you have a story that want, needs to be told and you want to tell it to us, shoot us an email at overcomingadversitypodcast at gmail.com and tell us a little bit about you. Give us a paragraph or two and leave your contact info so we can get in touch with you and schedule a time to have a conversation with you. Yeah, not five pages. Don't send us five pages. Send us two paragraphs, please. (laughs) All right, Jordan. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I want to break free.